Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Come on around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour, your Saturday morning tradition here since 1988. If you're following along in our homeowner handbook, you know we're talking, of course, with Farmer Greg in the Urban Farm, and he's got a great program lined out on Plan Your Water, and you've brought in a guest. Yeah, we've got Don Titmus, a longtime friend of mine and rainwater harvester here in uh, the Valley, and he is a master rainwater harvester so we get to hear from him today thanks for coming in this saturday morning you're welcome thank you so tell me about being a master rainwater harvester oh, i don't know all, if i want to go that far all five or six drops that you get on your property I'm a, I'm a master of my own property yes and i and i help other people get to that point but it does take a while i've been doing it for you know decades and so yes it's it's a evolutionary kind of thing you make changes you observe you adapt you modify and then you make changes and you keep doing that until you're satisfied that you're going to capture as much rain as you can on your property without it leaving your property i joke to catching all five drops a year but this year we've actually been a great rain year how did your systems hold up in this uh, uh, last amazing Amazing. Yeah, the, this winter was, was exceptional. I mean, our wildflowers are there as proof, you know, to how much extra water we got this, this winter and spring. But now we're in the dry season again, and we're bone dry, and we're drying out real super quick. Now, I don't know if Farmer Greg was just pulling my leg or setting me up for something, <laughs> but ahead of the broadcast— Probably, probably setting me up for something. He said, I'm bringing in a guest that makes water flow uphill. Ah, yeah, that was a um, news reporter from uh, Mesa, the Mesa Tribune, back about uh, 20 years ago. She brought her, she brought her uh, high school students in for a tour and with a focus on rainwater, and I was explaining my passive rainwater harvesting system in my backyard, where I did not want to change the grade, so. You know, houses, if they don't have an alleyway, they generally slope from the house out toward the alley and out toward the street. But I don't have an alley. I, I have a uh, fence in the back that we both own. And so the, my whole property lot flows from my back fence to the street. So you have to intercept the water to slow it down, spread it, sink it, and then you cover it and you get it into the ground where it's going to do the most, va most good. So my challenge was I was getting too much water in my backyard. It was coming up on my back patio, and it was within three feet of my patio door. So the problem is the solution. I needed to intercept and put the water in the ground before it got to my concrete patio. Did that by digging an eight-inch deep, four-inch wide trench. Eight inches deep, four inches wide. I got that flexible, perforated black pipe, a four-inch pipe. I put that in the bottom, put a silt cloth around it to keep it from filling up with silt, and then I put rock on top. So that was an interceptor. So the water was flowing downhill from the back fence. I intercepted it into that modified French drain. You would know it more if it was a French drain. If you're, if you're from back east, you put French drains in to take water away from your property. We're trying to put it in the ground here. And then now the transfer pipes to take it back toward the fence 
is sloping down underground. Hence from the back the, patio. From the back patio. Hence the term I make water go uphill. Hmm. Very interesting. So I engineer go uphill underground. Yes. <laughs> I'm going yes. In in effect. Yes. So that's pretty cool. And you've got quite a uh, literature that you've traveled with here. Uh, well, I'm bringing books from different people. We're going to talk about gray water. So I brought a couple of books. I brought a book uh, that's low tech, low cost techniques. And the Bible is the rainwater harvesting for dry lands and beyond Brad Lancaster. So uh, I'm standing on the shoulders of all those that came before me. And Brad is one of those. Thank you, Brad. He too is standing on the shoulders before him. And that's how we at that succession, that's how we do sting. We we take it and we run with it and we work with it and we honor it. Well, very good. Well, pleasure to have you in and looking forward to diving into all of this. Uh, you know, and and it's not just rainwater harvesting that we're talking. You had mentioned gray water, storm water. There's you know, Greg's list here has a number of different water sources. Where where do we get started with all this? What's the simplest place to start for someone listening? So well, I think the, the simplest place, and the question that I get a lot is why bother harvesting rainwater because we don't get a whole lot of rainwater in the desert, right, Don? Yeah, I get hear it all the time. Yeah, why, why bother? And I think the perfect argument is that, well, isn't that the reason to harvest rain? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's so little of it, we've yeah. got to utilize every single right? stinking yeah. drop we can get. <laughs> Back to that saying in permaculture is the problem is the solution. We don't have enough water, so should we keep everything what we've got because it's gold, right, for, for our earth. You know, it's just nothing works without water. We can't plant. We can't make our food. We can't make our clothing. We can't do anything without water. Water is... It's just intrinsically necessary. Well, and the simplest, going back to your question, Romy, the simplest thing to do is figure out how to slow it down and sink it in, thank you, Brad, on your property. And right. what's the best way to, the easiest way to do that, Don? Well, actually, the easiest way for me to harvest water is my, or my term is my bucket brigade. So in, in my back garden, where it's not visible from the street out front, neighbors don't know uh, unless they've been on my tour that a portion of my back roof harvesting strategy is just to put a line of buckets under the drip line so every time it rains if i get a one inch rain i've got a full five gallon bucket of rainwater now that is that's the first thing to go out to my trees to anywhere that needs extra water and to wash away the salts that accumulate from our tap water Tap water is not the best water for plants. It is dead water. It's been highly processed. You know, think about highly processed food compared to highly nutrient-dense food. There's, there's no comparison. It's, it's just so far apart that it's unbelievable. Well, and so much of it as well comes from, you know, rivers, our salt river project <clears throat> systems, our Colorado water systems that right. CEP brings in. You know, it's traveling thousands of miles to river, but there's a lot of room to pick up silt and dry and bring it with us and flow down. So it's naturally carrying a lot of minerals with it as well or hard deposits. Absolutely. That is a, you know, it's big, especially out you know, where salt, uh, SRP delivers water. You know, that's coming out of the canyons and there's a lot of hard water coming out of there. Yeah. I agree. And the municipalities don't treat water for that. They treat it for safety of drinking no. and pass it yeah. along. They're, 
There, I think. I, I don't even want to know what it would cost if they ran all the water through a, a, a water treatment system, a soft water system, and a, a distilled system. It, it, yeah. It'd be pretty expensive water. If we can only stop them from adding stuff that is detrimental to our human bodies, I, I would be thrilled. But, you know, they're, they're invested in whatever they're invested in. And, you know, <clears throat> so first thing, chlorine, great. It kills all the bacteria. Bad for the soil. Yeah, big time. And well, that's why I always encourage people to remove the chlorine <clears throat> if you were using it to water your garden, for sure. Right. And so once that water hits our property, you know, the, the one of the big places that people go is, well, I got to store that water, put it in tanks. And the most expensive thing you can be doing is building tanks. And one of the things that I did at the Urban Farm and one of the things that I'm doing here in North Carolina is... I direct the water into basins that are full of woody mulch. And you do a lot of that on your property, don't you, Don? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, that's the cover it part. So it's slow it, spread it, sink it, cover it. It's the covering that's essential in, in arid climates because that reduces the evaporation effect. So every time it rains, we want to keep the maximum amount of water we can in the ground because it's when it's in the ground, which is our earth tank, then it's available to all the plant life all around the whole area. We're not sinking the water into the ground to ever reuse it in liquid form. We're just taking a rain, and instead of letting all that water run off and down the street or down the alley in the gutterway, we're retaining on the property so that the plant's yes. watering cycle, you know, it extends how long yes. that plant is drinking from that water source. Yes, Greater resilience, greater sustainability uh, on its ability. To, if, when we run tap water, we're literally running it on an IV system like you're, you know, in the ER, a hospital. You know, so let's get that line in them. Let's get that, let's get that fluid in them. You know, that's, that's the drip system. And, you know, it's not the best system in the world because, it's the, again, the tap water is already dead. So we want more alive water than we want dead water. We want, we want to keep that water on the ground in an intelligent way. We don't want the house to flood. We want to keep engineer it so we keep the water in the basins that, that uh, Greg referred to. And I'm talking a shallow basin. It doesn't need to be any more than, say, two to three inches because – when we have a rain, we have typically inch rains or sometimes a two-inch rain. We want to capture and keep as much of that as we can without it running off. And once it gets into that basin, it's going to, it's going to be uh, contained there. It's a, it's a container, and it's going to slowly get down into the soil. And it takes a while because our desert soils can really compact from the heat and the sun. So the first few monsoons, rains, they just flow right off. But if you put it in the ground, then it's more available. It's more, it soaks in quicker. It's the fourth Saturday of the month. So here at the Outdoor <coughs> Living Hour of Rosie on the House, we're with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm. And we've got Don Titmus, and you've named your property uh, as a recommendation from Greg. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in the day when, when Greg and I were getting things going with the Phoenix Permaculture Guild, it was one of those things. It's name your property, name your urban farm. And so 
my place became the B Oasis. And I'll let you talk about why the B Oasis, but of all things we can do here at Rosie on the House, we can't stop the clock. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Rosie on the house here in the Urban Farm. And our guest in today with Farmer Greg is Don Titmus of the Bee Oasis. Is that like to be an oasis? Buzzing Bee Oasis? Uh... All of the above. So, yes, I wanted to – I started out in my learning, my classes and different things. I had ended up going to Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, which is where I took my permaculture design course there. And then later I went back, a year later I went back, and uh, there's a fellow by the name of Les Crowder, and he has the top bar hive system, which is completely the opposite from the Langstroth commercial hives. Yeah. So they're, they're vertical systems, whereas the top bar hive is a horizontal system. So I started doing that because I took the classes on that, which is a much more natural way of, of managing bees. After a while, uh, we couldn't be in the same town together. This, ain't, this town ain't big <laughs> enough for the both of us because I wanted to, to mix my compost pile, which was 10 feet away from my bee boxes. And so it just happened to be, that, pun intended, that I had to you know move them rather than move me. My my garden's always been an oasis. I, you know, I have propolis, which is the sticky sap that they use to seal their hive. They 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 need it completely sealed up, just like we do in our own houses. We like a sealed house. We don't we want the rain to get in. We don't want the invaders to get in. They seal it up, and they they need nectar and they need pollen and they need all these different things. So my home site has all those components. For the, for the bees that are wild. I have no managed bees. Uh, but I do put up bee blocks. Those bee blocks are for the solitary bee, the mason bee and the leaf rolling bee in particular. And they're the best pollinators in the world. So if you've got fruits and vegetables that need pollination, you need to bring in your solitary bees. You don't need a honeybee for pollination. You need a honeybee for honey. Excellent. Well, I, I love it. And we're going to have to probably, I'm, I'm thinking, schedule a time to talk a whole hour just about bees. Yes. I think, uh, but I don't want to deter from today's schedule, especially if somebody's tuned no. in specifically to follow along on, on our talking points that we published in our homeowner handbook on planting your water. Uh, bees need water as well. Yes. And uh, during the break, Farmer Greg had mentioned wanting to talk about the, you know, we talked about mulch, but right. the long-term benefits that that does to the soil after seasons of right. uh, you know, the, the natural earth cycle. Yeah. You ready, Greg? Absolutely. Let's jump in. So woody mulch <clears throat> is amazing. Over the course of the 32 years that I, I lived at the urban farm, I for the first part of that time, I used to add woody mulch into my garden beds just to start them up. I wasn't growing food in them at that point, but what happens at the interface between the dirt and the woody mulch is it starts breaking down very quickly into really healthy soil. And so I really encourage people to use that free woody mulch. You get free from tree services. In fact, what I used to do at the urban farm is I would listen. And when I heard the, the uh, tree grinders going on in my neighborhood, I'd go searching for them and I would have them drop 
that woody mulch in my front yard. And over time, it makes it it really holds on to the moisture. It makes the soil cooler in the summertime and warmer in the wintertime, and it builds healthy soil over time. I think you've, you've done a lot of that at the uh, BOASIS, haven't you, Don? I've done quite a bit. Uh, not as much as you have done. I like, I like my open spaces as well. So every permaculture urban farm is, is its own unique, custom-built, custom-made, custom-designed space. So, uh, yes, each, each one of us designers have our, our own very unique spaces. Urban farms different from BOASIS. You got flood irrigation. I don't. You got more fruit trees than me. I've got more native plants than you. Yeah, we each ha- have developed our own spaces to our own liking. And you mentioned all these great things about the mulch, Greg. And I know you know y'all's goal and your vision and, and everything you do in the permaculture side of things and the urban farming and the, the cultivating. But you missed out and left out one very important point about the mulch. It could be a very me. pretty top cover. It, it, it's aesthetic. Yeah, well, and interestingly, so I was out in uh, Peoria before I left Phoenix, and I was driving down, I think, Peoria Boulevard, uh, like 120th Avenue or something, and rather than using gravel in the medians, they had woody mulch. I literally, I'm getting chills as I shared this because they're finally getting smart about it. I pulled over and walked out into the median to see what was actually going on. And they had a good six inches of woody mulch in the median. Endless benefits. And uh, you can also sign up at chipdrop.com. We mention it frequently anytime the topic comes up where uh, you sign up and you just have to wait when an arborist team or company is in your neighborhood and they are taking down trees or cutting limbs and you know, they, they mulch it all. They have these chippers that they haul behind these pickup trucks and dump trucks, and they just, you know, it shoots all these chips right into it. Well, that's an expense to them to go dump it at uh, the landfill, plus the time to take and yep. go and do it as well. Well, they can just come drop it at your yard. They're happy to do that. You just have to wait and get on their schedule. So great way to get free uh, mulch at chipdrop.com. More with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm and Don Titmus of the Bee Oasis here at Rosie on the House. Already halfway through the hour with Farmer Greg and Don Titmus, so we wanted to jump into water sources that uh, are available that aren't your tap water. So you guys just take it and run from there. All right, well, well, let's start with rainwater. Rainwater is any water that comes out of the sky and lands on your property. And our job is to direct that rainwater into the places in our yard where we want to use it. Um, and then there's gray water. Why don't you tell us what gray water is, Don? Yes, gray water, Greg, is the second use of tap water. So gray water <clears throat> would be like if you uh, wash your clothes, uh, you wash your hands, you take a bath, a shower, those kind of sources of water are the most logical place to start. They have the less 
uh, icky bits in it and uh, are used extensively in the garden without any detriment to the soil itself, especially if you're using biodegradable soaps and uh, other things. Yeah, and, and gray water is different from black water. Black water goes down your toilet and basically your kitchen sink. They call that black water. It needs to be treated differently. Yeah. But it is legal in the state of Arizona yes. to use the gray water from your house in your yard. And you can go to the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality, and they have 13 best practices uh, on how to use your gray water, and it's legal. They, again, thanks to Brad Lancaster working with them AZDEQ about 20 years ago. Right. And Art Ludwig. And Art, oh, so Art Ludwig uh, runs Oasis Design out of Northern California. And here's a quick story. It's 1991 or 92. I'm in a bookstore in Seattle. And there is this photocopied book called, it's photocopied called Creating an Oasis with Gray Water. I've got it right and here in my hands. Don brought in a copy. I'm skimming through it. Yeah, and it is a absolutely brilliant book on <clears throat> how to use gray water. It's, it's, yeah. So there's a couple of ways to harvest the gray water out of your house. Uh, I'll talk about the first one, which is you have to plumb your house to get the water outside. And that can be challenging unless you're building a new house, then you build it into the new house. The other way is to move those facilities outside, right, Don? That's right. I've moved me out. Yes. So <laughs> during during the summer, uh, when the when the water that's coming into your house is tepid and uh, you know, it's just it's cool and I want I'm working outside and I want to be cooled down from, you know, being outside, then you know, my outdoor shower is the place that I go to, you know, June through, you know, September. And that's when the plants need the most water. So it's a beneficial relationship for me to wash myself outside and put the water on the plants that are right there in the outdoor shower. And was a lot easier than plumbing a separate line from your shower inside Way out easier. to your Yeah, because you have to, on passive flow on gray water harvesting from your sink, you know, you've got some elevation, but your shower stall is really low. So you have to raise the shower stall up enough to get passive flow to get the water out of the house, down into the ground and out to the landscape. So that's, you know, there's laundry to landscape, there's shower to landscape, there's ways to, to move that water, but you've you got to be willing to open up your wall and put new piping in because you need to keep the water up higher longer to get the passive flow and if you've ever had a shower outside in arizona it seems kind of like what seriously but i mean when you're out all day and you're working whether you know you're in construction or you're out doing just your own landscape you, walking inside hot sweaty oh. and dirty is is not no relaxing even though it's cooler inside mm -hmm. being able to hit that quick rinse off you don't even hardly need hot water at that point maybe no. just a tiny little bit if you like it uh you know to to get your your hair clean if you have any left you know if you're lucky <laughs> enough to be one of those people <laughs> but just being able to rinse off clean off and yeah. then go inside clean you know yeah. you feel like you can actually 
enjoy your, you know, couch, your lazy boy, whatever the case may be. And all of that dirt and dust and, you know, you got your own laundry bin out there. You right. throw your clothes in there, being able to, to start fresh going inside and it keeps the inside cleaner. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Every every home should have some outdoor type of shower, in my opinion, in, in Arizona. Yeah. Maybe, maybe oh, one, you could argue Flagstaff, things- maybe not, you know, but. At least in the day. One of the thing, one of the things I did at the Urban Farm before years ago, probably back in 2004, I installed an outdoor shower. It had both hot and cold water, but I lifted it. So I actually lifted it about 18 inches. So you stepped up into it, and that gained my slope to get the water to run to the yard. Right. I was there. <laughs> yeah, he was. Were, so he was. Were, were you uh, Tom Sawyer <laughs> by by Farmer Greg? And who, who did most of this physical work when this was happening? Oh, we yeah. all we all did. And, and there was Eric, and there was you know this person and that person. There's so many other people involved in the process. This is why we created the guild so that we could, you know, get these little tasks done because no one man, no one person, no one whatever can do all, all the heavy lifting and things. So we, we created uh, perma parties. Well, one of the other things that we did, which is, this is really important, and I really encourage people, if you have an edible landscape, if you're doing rainwater harvesting, open up your property and do tours yeah. and do classes. So when I was at the urban farm, we used to do tours periodically. I know Don does tours periodically of the yes. Oasis, And for the outdoor shower and outdoor rainwater harvesting systems that we put up, we actually did hands-on classes yeah. for, for people to come and, you know, experience this real time. And there's plenty of resources out there for people to go to. You can go to Urban Farms website. You, uh, Don, you've got a website as well. I mean, the and just going there, signing up for the newsletters or following on social you know, you'll get notification of when these different oh, yeah. events happen. And, you know, sometimes there's a little charge to them for everyone's time. Sometimes there's not. It just, it, it, it can vary. Right. We, we charge the maximum amount of money that is realistic for our clientele. Uh, and so like and the, often, okay, and often we offer them a, a, on a donation basis. Right. Don't, that's what I was going to say. A lot of them is donation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's through. that's gray water. That's rainwater. Yes. Then there's storm water. Storm and, water. You know, again, here's Brad back in on the scene. Brad did something about 10, 12 years ago that was um, partially legal. Uh, I think he has a different term for it. He actually cut the curbs out in front of his house and created roadside basins so that when the water ran by his house in the gutter in the gutter on the street it filled up the basin and then kept going on and that's storm water what do you know about storm water don i don't know a lot because i don't get a lot uh in my little cul-de-sac that i live in but uh i've seen that water just stream past brad's place in some of his videos and bits and pieces in there and it's amazing, you know, he came up, He first of all, he did a double cut, and so water went in the top end and then came out on the bottom end, but it didn't really fill up the basin. So then he, he blocked up the bottom one and only left the top one, so the water went in, 
filled up the basin to the top and then flowed back out and no more water was flowing back in. That's engineering. You don't want more than you can manage because otherwise yeah. the water is going to manage you. And last uh, June, Greg had uh, Brad Lancaster in the Urban Farm Hour. We'll put a link in today's podcast page as well to go back and listen to that because it was a very interesting and fun hour that he zoomed in uh, from his, uh, I, I don't, do, I don't know if we should disclose his location, but his, uh, his little, you know, urban farm piece of heaven in here tu- in Arizona. He's in, he's in Tucson. Yep. And making a big difference down there. In fact, um, recently in 2022, they did a documentary on, uh, it's called uh, Arizona in- Illustrated rainwater harvesting on PBS down in Tucson. They did a documentary on the change that has happened since they've been doing the work down there and uh, in in the past 20 years. And it's, it's mind-blowing. If you get a chance to look that up, uh, we, we, I can get you a link for that, Romy. It, it is mind-blowing what they've done down there. Oh, we'd love to add that link to the podcast page for this because... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> I, well, I haven't his, seen it. I'd, Brad's I'd love contention this. is, is that there's enough, there's enough water that flows, uh, rains on the city of Tucson to supply all their water needs. And he's proving it. That's pretty cool. Just yes, imagine if that was accomplished, the number one water user of the CAP canal is Tucson. So if wow. if we you know that amount of water if that was repurposed somewhere else because yeah. the city was using you know the the natural rainwater what could that do now don't tell developers that <laughs> right <laughs> they, they, well, they, they'd scrape another really ten sections and start stacking houses that are got you know not enough room to walk between the two <laughs> right well my parents owned a house in Prescott about. 25 years ago. And one of the interesting things that the developer did is they ran all of the water off of all of the properties out into the streets. And they had culverts that were 10 feet tall that my mom told me that at times she would go out when it was raining and the culvert was full of water. When in reality, what they could have done is sunk that water on the properties and not have to put in all of that infrastructure and you know all that water destruction that happens when it rains because of that. Yeah, people don't understand that the, the water cycles. It never stops. It might slow down, but the water cycle is perpetual. And so if people are like, uh, there's communities around the, the nation that say, okay, you can't harvest water on your property because we own that right to that water for our city. And and that's what kind of stuff has been happening. And so if you're holding it onto your property and filling that up, then you're not stopping the flow of the water. You're just slowing it down with a speed bump. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Okay. All right, so that's rainwater, rainwater, stormwater, and then there's a category for others that we'll jump into in the final segment here at Rosie on the House with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm and Don Titmus of the Bee Oasis.
Well, and as always, there's never enough time here, and especially with the talking points. Let's quickly go through these other sources because during the break we were talking about all the events coming up, so we want to make sure and share that with our listeners as well. If they'd like to get involved or learn more in a hands-on way, you can do that. Uh, but first, these other sources of water. Right. I really, Yeah, I really encourage people to pay attention, observe what's going on on your property because there's other sources. When I lived at the urban farm, we had flood irrigation, so that's, that's a magical thing. Uh, but one thing that people often don't think contributes a lot is condensation. What about that, Don? Yeah, well, the condensate from your air conditioner is, is prime water. I mean, that is distilled water. You can uh, bottle it up and save it for your battery or, or, whatever, or whatever you want to do uh, with that distilled water. So that is, a, that is a valuable source of water, and I have a separate tank to capture that. And it's a lot. You wouldn't. You would be shocked. You might be shocked at how much water comes out of that. Especially in source. August, yes. So an air conditioner works by remo- removing moisture from the air inside. Well, that has to go somewhere, right? So there's these condensate line that takes that dripping water that yes. the air conditioning is removing and pipes it out of your house. So yes. you just walk around your house, look for a little plastic pipe coming yeah. somewhere out of and, the wall, and it has that little dip in it, right? The little P-trap. P-trap. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I call it a dip. <laughs> a dip. The, the, the dip. The plastic with the dip. And, and sometimes you won't even see the dip on the outside of the home. You'll just see a little plastic pipe coming ah, out. Okay. Now, in some cases, there could be a metal pipe coming up. That's not it. Condensate's always plastic. If you see the metal one, that's actually to the water heater. And that's a safety valve, and we won't get into the purpose of that. But never touch it right. or, or stand clear. It's usually pointed with an elbow down 90 degree to the ground look for the plastic one coming straight out that's going to be a huge source of water in the summer months when the rains come in the monsoons move in the humidity in the desert goes way up yeah so the air conditionings are working overtime getting the humidity out and all that water is just pouring like you said perfectly distilled right the cleaner cleaner than you're getting probably from even the the purest of bottled water you know manufacturer out there right Perfect stuff. And I would get sometimes up to three, four gallons a day. You know, and for watering your garden, it's, it's great. Right. So another source would be um, OPW, other people's water. <laughs> so you're, the lot next door to you might be slightly higher than you, and then there might be you know, some extra flow from the next door and if he doesn't complain he she doesn't complain then you know you can use that water to its highest value and grow more food and then uh the last one that you had mentioned on here was evap coolers as well that kind of goes back Mm -hmm. uh, to the mechanical cooling equipment that we have in arizona and this system's a little bit different but an evap cooler generally especially if they have a self-cleaning feature right. will create a little bit of, of excess water that's as well. that's what i have i have the piggyback uh, evap cooler and uh, ac system my evap cooler has a the 24-hour purge in it so it once a day it purges the reservoir tank in the bottom of the evap cooler that goes straight into a hose and the hose goes directly to my citrus tree so completely 
passive on my side. I don't have to do anything. The system is already set up for it to go directly to that tree. It gets that extra water every day in the summer when it needs it more. And so it's a perfect marriage again, perfect relationship. We, we, we want to marry things up because that's more sustainable. When we have more interconnected systems in our property, it's more sustainable. All right. Well, Farmer Greg, I'll let you take it from here. Where uh, not only more on rain harvesting, but just backing up real quick to our May's urban farm hour. We were talking about <clears throat> mesquite harvesting. That vent still hasn't happened yet. Right. Yeah. So every end of June or beginning of July through the urban farm, we do a educational series of educational events on how to harvest mesquite beans. And then Don and I, oh my gosh, five or six years ago, got a wild hair and did a fun, uh, community fundraiser and raised about $10,000 to buy a community hammer mill. And so you can go to urbanfarmevents.com and find out about our milling. It's currently scheduled for next weekend. We'll see, you know, we'll see what happens as far as uh, available availability of harvested beans, but uh, we do that every year. And then uh, every July, Don and I also do our uh, water harvesting summit. This is an online three-day event with speakers and like that. And uh, you can go to urbanfarmwater.com and we've got a series of videos and that kind of stuff on water harvesting that you can download for free there. When you do that, you'll get information for our water harvesting summit that's coming up the, I think it's the 13th, 14th, and 15th of July. And is that a virtual summit? Is that an in-person summit? Okay. Yeah, yeah it's virtual. a virtual summit. And, yeah, but but um, we're going to be virtually there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. So, And then along with that, Don and I put together a few years ago a water harvesting course uh, that uh, we make available at the summit as well. Very good. So you can do that at Urban Farm Water. Was that the URL? Yep. Urbanfarmwater.com is where you can find out more about water harvesting. And then our Urban Farm Events page is urbanfarmevents.com. We'll put both of those URLs in the podcast page for today's broadcast at rosieonthehouse.com slash radio. This is the 8 o'clock hour, the outdoor living hour. It's the fourth Saturday of the month, so it's urban farming. And our talking point hashtag was plan your water. And we've done it with uh, Greg. <clears throat> we've done that with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm and Don Titmus of the Oasis, and all the great resources he all brought with us from uh, Brad Lancaster, Art Ludlow, uh, who, uh, Dave. Uh, Bainbridge. Bainbridge. Yeah, from San Diego. So, hadn't heard of that one yet, but I do love this book, though. Oh, it's a great book. Greg from the Urban Farm, Don Titmus of the Bee Oasis. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. Thank you.